the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Wednesday, January the 15th, 2020, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Captain Chelsea Sully Sullenberg, he dished his um, airplane, Airbus 320, in the Hudson River. A flock of birds had run through the engines. I think they were geese, if I remember correctly. Disabled both engines, 155 people on board. Everybody survived. No one was even injured. I remember that sight. You probably do, too, of an airplane sitting in the Hudson River and basically in downtown New York. That's not a sight you see every day. He said later that he just acted on what he knew and what he had done all of his life, fly airplanes, his adult life. He said he knew one thing. He said he had to keep the wings level. I remember him saying that because he said, had the wings not been level when he, you know, hit the surface of the water, the wing that was down would have dipped into the water and flipped the plane and would have been a very different outcome. But anyway, that happened today in 2009. Today in 1559, you probably don't remember that one. I certainly don't. But England's Queen Elizabeth I was crowned in Westminster Abbey. Today in 1865, the Civil War was nearing its end. Union forces captured Fort Fisher near Wilmington, North Carolina. That took away the last major seaport from the Confederates. Today in 1892, the original rules of basketball, basketball was created by a guy named Jim Naismith or James Naismith, the rules were published for the first time in Springfield, Massachusetts. A lot of people were saying, this isn't going to catch on. People don't really care all that much about this. What do they call it? Basketball, one guy said. Well, uh, he was wrong. A lot of people like to play basketball and watch basketball. Today in 1919 in Boston, a tank containing an estimated 2.3 million gallons of molasses. It burst. It sent this dark syrup running through the city's north end, 21 people were killed as a result of this molasses. My dad, my dad used to have a saying, I loved my dad, we were close. My dad used to have a saying when I was a kid, I don't know where he got this, but he used to always say, boy, that person is slower than molasses in January. Well, it was January 15th, 1919, when all this molasses ran down the streets of Boston. Probably very slowly, but it took 21 lives. Today, 1929, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., he was born in Atlanta today. Today, 1943, work was completed on the Pentagon. They call it the headquarters for the U.S. Department of War. We now call it the U.S. Department of Defense. Today, in 1973, President Richard Nixon announced the suspension of all U.S. offensive action in North Vietnam. He said the reason? 
He said, we're making progress in our peace negotiations. Today in 1993, a historic disarmament ceremony had ended in Paris. The last of 125 countries signed a treaty banning chemical weapons. And today in 2014, a highly critical and bipartisan Senate, and it was bipartisan, they they put out a report that declared that the deadly September 2012 assault on the American uh, embassy or diplomatic compound in Benghazi, Libya, remember Benghazi, could have been prevented. The whole world knew this, but they said it officially today in 2014. The report was lengthy. I remembered. I didn't read it again this morning, but I remember it pretty well. I read it at the time. But the report spread blame among the State Department, the military, and the U.S. intelligence. When I read that report back then, I, re- I remember my reaction to it, and not only mine, but many people have the same reaction. Yeah, the military could have been um, probably done something they didn't do, and the U.S. intelligence may have been able to have more intelligence available more quickly. But the major failure and the reason they spread out the responsibility was because of the State Department. It was an absolute, utter fiasco. Hillary Clinton was so busy being Hillary Clinton, the inevitable next president of the United States, that she didn't even act. Her office didn't even act. Then they went out and lied to the public again and again and again and again after that. You'll recall that part of it. I hope we remember that part. Not because of any feelings about Hillary Clinton one way or the other, but that ought not to happen. And it did. It was blatant. Today, 2014. Well, they had their uh, another debate last night, the Democrats, Moderators with CNN and the Des Moines Register, they were kind of running the show last night. I looked for the ratings. I couldn't find them this morning. I wanted to see how many actually watched that. I, I they, they weren't published anywhere that I could find, and I'm pretty good at finding that kind of thing. But it, it, they will be out there later today. I, I was just curious. But I don't know how many people watched it. I didn't, but I did, I did look at the um, transcripts of it. I, that's easier than sitting through that. I wouldn't really spend my time on that. I, I could know what they said in much less time. So what I found was not what they said. They said what, they're, what they say all the time. But what struck me was what was not said. The moderators, both from CNN and the Des Moines Register, they were in Iowa, they didn't ask a single immigration-related question. I double-checked this. Not a single question on that debate last night. Not one. And immigration is always one of the top two issues that Americans feel they're facing, American voters, along with health care. In every poll I've seen recently, I mean, there may be one somewhere that doesn't support this, but all, almost all of the polls and all the major polls show that Healthcare and immigration are always one and two. Sometimes they're flipped. One is one and the other two and, and then vice versa. But they're always one and two on these voter uh, polls that are taken of Americans who will vote in the next election. They never ask a single question 
about it. It's amazing to me. Democrats never ask a single question about their plans to amnesty. The 11 to 22 million, we hear different numbers all the time, illegal aliens. There was no talk about decriminalizing the U.S.-Mexico border. But they're out there telling the people that wherever these guys go, they're all talking about open borders. I mean, they couch it in different words. The only time that immigration was even mentioned was in the closing remarks of Senator Amy Klobuchar. She's a Democrat from Minnesota. She's still in the race. And Senator Bernie Sanders. In their closing remarks, they referenced the topic, but they didn't detail any plans. They didn't go into anything. They're open borders people. They don't believe in borders. They don't want borders. The lack of questioning was really to the advantage of Joe Biden. I had to think and wonder. I don't know, but I had to wonder. He keeps facing backlash from the open borders lobby and the open borders people, which pretty much dominates the Democratic Party. And they're always on his case for failing to endorse ending all deportations of illegal aliens into the country. He won't come out and just say um, <laughs> what they want him to say. So I was wondering if that was kind of a setup to help Joe. I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't really care, except I just think we should be informed. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she announced this morning that Representatives Gerald Nadler and Adam Schiff will be among the impeachment managers who will press the House's case against President Trump in the upcoming Senate trial. She said, today is the day that we name the managers. We go to the floor to pass the resolution to transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate. She's acting like a queen or something. I mean, really, she is. I think she's been following this Meghan Markle and Harry story too much. She's, she, I mean, honest, she, she acts like a queen. It's like everybody else is kind of a subject to her. Nadler is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and Schiff. I mean, we saw too much of him during the House impeachment process. He's the head of the House Intelligence Committee. They both played crucial roles in the House's impeachment inquiry. There's some other people that are going to be on this. Some of them I know and some of them I don't, but there's a, a Zoe Lofgren. I know that she, she's a representative. She's way out there on the left. Um, there's um, Hakeem Jeffries and, and Val Demings and Jason Crow and Sylvia Gar. You'll be hearing these names starting today, but especially next week. But they uh, are supposed to, and they may be doing that as we speak here. They're supposed to deliver the articles to the Senate today. And uh, the White House counsel that will be representing President Trump is Pat uh, Cipollin or Cipollian, something like that, and Jay Succulow. I think many of us know Jay Succulow. He's on Christian radio. He has a daily show. He's an outstanding lawyer, and uh, he's Trump's personal lawyer now, and he will, he will lead in the president's defense. That'll be interesting to see. We should be prayerfully watching that as it develops next week. So anyway, that's what's um, that's what's coming down. Mitch McConnell affirmed today that Nancy Pelosi is not in charge of the Senate. It doesn't really matter what her rules are. He said, our members feel that we have an obligation to listen to the arguments, and we're going to listen to the arguments 
as much as we want, and then we will make our decision. So good for Mitch. I, uh, I, I have not always agreed with him, and I've often thought I wish he had a little more backbone, but he's, he's standing pretty strong on this issue, or he seems to be, and that makes, I think, makes many of us feel good about it. At least he's, he's standing in his role. He's not hiding in the shadows somewhere, as some politicians do from time to time when they're sort of, you know, some of their friends are for something and some of their friends are against something and they're with their friends. Isaiah wrote in chapter 40, it's a verse you know, he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. The psalmist knew that truth as well. In Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. The psalmist said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We need that kind of assurance today from the Word of God. And while things are changing around us, everything is in flux and change because the progressives have gotten their hands around the throat of our society. They're relativistic. They don't believe in fixed truth. They don't believe in absolute truth. They don't believe that any one truth is more significant than someone else's truth. So they all stand in their own truth. And the result is chaos. We live in a chaotic society today. Our society was created by men who believed that God's word was the rock of life itself, the foundation of any society. And whether or not they had a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, many of them did, some perhaps not, they all understood that a nation that is built on anything other than the foundations, the traditional values, as Ronald Reagan would later call them, of the Bible is built on the sand. And it will ultimately fail. Because people are broken and sinful, and people, people, are not consistent. We all fail. We all sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's why in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. We need Christians to stand today because every force that Satan can put against a culture is being hurled at our culture today. There's a new poll out by Pew Research that discovered that 47% of young Democrats believe that other countries are better than the United States. Now, let me be clear to someone who doesn't perhaps listen to this program all the time and maybe don't really know where we're coming from. I'm not suggesting that loving America is the most important thing in life. Loving God and serving God in a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, which is the only way to God, is the most important thing in life. But having said that, we live in a country that God has blessed. It was founded on biblical principles. God has blessed this country, and in doing so, he's blessed us. And to whom much is given, much is required. So from that, I'm speaking about the love of country. And I will tell you, having traveled the world in missionary work, 
America is not a bad place. It's always good to come home when you've been in a lot of other places, most other places. But because of indoctrination in the classroom, through the media, through entertainment, so-called entertainment, we now have this poll research discovered 47% of young Democrats believe that other countries are better. There's several of them that they name, and I won't go into that, but they're mostly European countries, uh, better than the United States. And many young Americans say they wouldn't mind if other countries became as militarily powerful as the United States. They say that it, that's only fair. <laughs> they, have, they know nothing about survival. If you did a quick research or a profile on young America in 2020 as we go toward this election, because many of them will be voting, many of them for the first time. It's a shocking poll. It discovered that 47% of young Democrats believe that other countries are better than the United States. What do they know? They're not. Other countries are not better. Pew also discovered that many Americans, young Americans, admit they wouldn't mind if other countries were more were as powerful or even more powerful militarily than our country. Don't they know that there are countries, there are regimes sitting around the world who want to take over America, like Japan in the 40s, that spirit, that idea hasn't gone away. We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a sinful, broken world. 36% of Americans, 18 to 29, say that other countries are better than the United States. Among Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents under the age of 30, nearly half, 47%, say that other countries are better. Just 20% of Democrats age 50 and older agree. Not surprising. The longer you've been around, the more you know. Pew says that Democrats have become more likely to say that other countries that are, are better than the U.S. In fact, Pew says the share of Democrats saying this is higher than at any point since the question was first asked by Pew in 2011, so in the last nine years. While a majority of adults, 61%, say that the United States should maintain its status as a military superpower, more than half, 55% of Democrats under the age of 30, admit that they would find it acceptable if other nations were more powerful than America militarily. They just want to live in peace. Don't they know how peace on this in this world is created? It's called peace through power. Strength through power. Among young Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, these numbers are thankfully significantly lower. Just 19% of adults under the age of 30, Republican adults, agree with their young Democrat counterparts with regards to the idea that other countries are superior to the United States. Among Republicans age 50 and older, only 4% old Republicans are smart. Only 4% agree with that sentiment. The Pew Report also noted that while a majority of Republicans say that the United States should try to maintain its status as a military superpower, 38% of Republicans under the age of 30 say it would be acceptable if another country became as militarily powerful as the U.S. 
Pew notes that this poll demonstrates the dramatic shift in the Democratic Party's base and the potential schism between traditional Democrat voters and young and woke, as they say, people that are awake to the facts, woke progressives. Well, we're already seeing that in in real time. Just a few days ago, Representative, I didn't mention it on this program, but I I was aware of it, and perhaps you were, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this, you know who she is, Democrat, she's from New York, she's got a Republican guy that's running against her that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know how that will fare, but we'll see. But anyway, she admitted that she's refusing to pay her dues, is what they call them. They're not actually dues, but it's... I don't know if they sign a contract with the Democratic Party or if it's just something that's generally known that that's the way it works. But anyway, and I think that's true probably in the Republican Party as well, where they raise money and some people are better fundraisers than others. And they raise money and a part of that goes to the national party, the GOP or the DNC or whatever. And then they kind of put it out there. It's part of the power uh, base and power structure. And then they put it out there to the candidates in their party that they really want to see win. And if they want to punish a candidate, they can withhold that money and so on. Well, they amass all this money from all the people in their party that are running for office in their local communities. So when you give to a local, give to a local uh, candidate, you're also, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is true with the Republicans. You're also giving to the National Party, which doesn't isn't bothersome to me at all. But in this in this context, it's important because she has said no. She said I'm not going to do it, and she's raised over five million dollars, which is quite a bit for a local representative. And um, she's taking this. She says, and and they ask her why the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi was very uh, put off by this a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And um, they asked Ocasio-Cortez, they said, why, why aren't you cooperating? Why are you not a team player? And she said, because the Democratic Party is not progressive enough. So she is giving funds. She, she apparently is not misusing it or mishandling it. She's just giving it, which they're, they're able to do, giving it to other far-left progressives that she deems to be progressive enough. She's cutting the Democratic Party out of the equation. People who are running for office. That's a problem for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, because she is in a presiding mode right now. But there's other young far-left Democrats are beginning to do the same thing. So this dramatic shift that that Pew says notes that they found in this study that they just released yesterday is true. I mean, it, it's you can see it in real time in the culture. And this caused me to start thinking in my pastor's heart and mind, looking at our culture with concern. And I think most of us are concerned about the direction that it's going. I I don't feel fatalistic about this. I still believe the God that sent revival to Europe, the God that sent a couple of great awakenings in America, I believe that God has not changed. I believe that God is able to turn a culture through the hearts of people to turn a culture in almost a moment of time. I believe that we are called to be faithful. I believe that we are called to not grow weary and well-doing. I believe that God has called us, has designated us as salt and light in the culture. We don't need to be salt and light in heaven, but salt and light in the culture 
for his purposes, for his kingdom, his glory, his honor. I do. I take it that seriously. And the people that, Christian people that take a step back and kind of in a, a bit of an elitist tone sometimes say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not going to get involved in politics. Politics are dirty. Politics are, you know, irrelevant. They're bad. That's true. They're not irrelevant, but they're dirty and they're bad. And that's why Christians have got to be the light in the darkness. We've got to be the salt that restrains the rot in the culture. God has called all of us to do that. All of us have various spheres of influence. Some of us influence maybe one or two people. I mean, I don't know. But some of us more. Some millions of people. But regardless of our sphere of influence, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to be a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And that's important. And I believe that we'll be held accountable for what we do with the life and the influence and our cultural position, whatever that may be, when we give an account to the Lord. Our salvation is not based on that. Our salvation is based on accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the Son of God resurrected from the dead. If we believe in our heart that that is true, if we confess that with our mouth, we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that is what we will ultimately be judged on for eternity. But there is a judgment. There is a conference with Jesus at the end of our lives. And what are we going to say if we have opportunity to stand for him in a culture that is going the wrong direction? God cares about this. He's blessed this culture. God cares about people. God cares about the sovereignty of nations. It's very clear in Genesis and other parts of the Bible. We've talked about that on this program. God cares about these kinds of things because he created this model for this time in history. And yes, we will be held accountable. I will tell you, there's different worldviews and they're tearing at one another right now in this nation. While Pew's study focuses primarily on attitudes regarding our country, there are similar differences in most all opinion polls and studies. We are a deeply divided country. Trump has not divided us. But he has exposed the divide because he just goes out there and says things that other politicians have not said. The divide has been deepening for some time. Gallup published a study two, um, two years ago, this month, in fact, and they titled it, Conservatives Lead in U.S. Ideology is Down to Single Digits. And the poll goes on, and I'm not going to get into it. It was two years ago. It was this month, though. And they they find, they show that that the tide is moving against conservatism in America. Ben Franklin, in his effort to encourage Europeans to move to America, or at least send their children here, he wrote in a pamphlet. It was entitled, Information to Those Who Had Removed to America. He said, Hence, bad examples to youth are more rare in America, which must be a comfortable consideration for parents. And he went on to, to make the case that we had a Christian basis for our culture here, and he wasn't necessarily an evangelical leader, I'll tell you. But that's how this nation was founded. And now we are drifting far from that. And it's time for Christians to be informed and to stand, and to stand for righteousness. And that's what we appeal to every day, to the best of our ability. 
Hey, thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for your support. Box 399, Bellevue, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. See you tomorrow.